Hey winner, welcome to Red Hot Mindset. I am so glad you're here. My mission is to help you step into the fire of refinement so you can come out stronger and crush your goals. Speaking of goals, I know that it has been a crazy spring and early summer of 2020. A lot of things have happened and a lot of things have been canceled along with the Boston Marathon. Many of you may know that I'm an avid runner. I was supposed to be slated to run the 2020 Boston Marathon, but unfortunately that is not happening. It is going virtual and you can expect a little report from me after I run the virtual marathon, which I've never done before. But because it has gone virtual, um, the Boston Marathon Association has said that runners who qualified for 2020 can apply to run in 2021. It doesn't mean everyone's going to get in because they only take a certain many people and there will be a larger field of applicants. But it is nice of them to be willing to let us apply again. And uh, with the cancellations, one of my thoughts was to bring some moms onto the podcast who had qualified for the 2020 Boston and to share their struggle victory stories. And that's what we're going to be doing every month. I'm going to have a selected mom come on and share why 2020 would have been her victory run for Boston and talk a little bit about her struggle victory stories uh, in life, but in running as well. So look forward to that. I'm super excited for today's guest. Her name is Janine Greenidge, and she is a runner, a wife, and a mother. She's been running for 40 years, and she and her husband, Brian, just celebrated 25 years of marriage. And her son, Mark, is 20 years old, and her daughter, Olivia, is 17. Janine's love for running began in middle school. She was on the track team throughout high school and then ran for pleasure during college. After running several 10K and 5K races, she expanded her racing to include marathons. And in her first marathon, the Cowtown Marathon in February of 1998, Janine finished in ninth place for the females and in third place for her age group. Three days after running the Cowtown Marathon, she found out that her finishing time qualified her to run in the race she had dreamed of running since she was 16 years old, the Boston Marathon. Now, Janine's latest endeavors include training for the Boston Virtual Marathon and hopefully running the 2021 Boston Marathon. She's also writing a book about living and running with ulcerative colitis, including her life-threatening flare-up last year that landed her in the hospital for eight days. I'm really excited to share her story with you, so let's dive in. Welcome to Red Hot Mindset. I'm your host, Gabe Cox, and through this podcast, I'm on a mission to help you step into the fire of refinement so you can realize your full potential. I do this by helping you overcome your mental barriers through a faith-based approach of building inner strength and resilience. Each episode, I will bring you thought process, productivity tips, and inspirational stories from everyday people all so you can move confidently toward your goals. As a running enthusiast, I believe that life is one massive marathon and it's up to you to run your own race and to finish it well. Step into the fire with me because I know you will come out stronger. Welcome, Janine. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for coming and hanging out with us today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. So before we get rolling, because I we have a lot to talk about, I have a lot of questions for you. Um, I want to hear just a little bit about you and your family and how you got started running. Okay, well, a little bit about me. That's always a fun question. And basically, it, my, my journey with running began 40 years ago when I was 13 years old. And it was very spontaneous in 
middle school trying out for the track team and I started off being a hurdler and I wasn't even five feet tall at the time but I was pretty good at hurdles and at my first track meet I um I fell on the first hurdle and hit my head and I went over to my coach and I said what can I do besides hurdles because I don't want to do that again I said put me in the mile or something they said okay and it turned out that I I really liked running longer distance but um so that's how that journey started. But I've been married for now 25 years. We've just had our 25th anniversary on June 17th. And my husband, Brian, and I have two wonderful children. We have Mark, who's 20 years old. And then we have Olivia, who's 17. And uh, I grew up in the state of Michigan, but moved to Florida, then Texas, and now back in Florida. And uh have journeyed through college in those types of uh, states, went to Central Michigan University for my bachelor's degree in health fitness and health promotion, and have my master's degree in healthcare administration from Texas Women's University. So just a, a little bit of everything, just kind of a, um, a mixed bag. That's awesome. So after uh, high school and college, did you run for fun? Um, how did that work? Did you start marathons right away? Or when did you get into the marathon? Yeah, yeah. So, well, I ran uh, on the track team all through high school, and then I ran just for fun, for pleasure during college. It was really just a, an anchor for me during college. I really enjoyed it. And then after college, just uh, did uh, more casual running, sometimes speed walking, that type of thing. And the whole desire to get into running a marathon uh had come about when I was a junior in high school and was on the track team and really enjoying it and had read about this Boston Marathon. I thought, wow, how cool. These people have to qualify to run this. And that little that little dream, that little spark just kind of got pushed to the side a little as people said, you know, you're a very intense type of person and that might be a little too much for you to do. And I thought, oh, okay, well, maybe that is just for special types of people. And then at a uh, Christmas party uh, back in December of 1997, my husband and I were sitting at a table with another couple and we were talking about running 5Ks and 10Ks. And she said, oh, well, have you ever run a marathon? I said to her, no, I think that's for people that are really out there. And she said, oh, well, I've run one. And I said, oh, really? So you kind of have to figure out how to take your foot out of your mouth in a very diplomatic way. And then you ask a bunch of questions. And on the way home, my husband could see that I just was being very quiet. He said, you're thinking about running a marathon, aren't you? I said, yeah, I, I kind of am. And he looked up uh, for us in, like a few weeks later. He said, you know, the Cowtown Marathon is at the end of February. And I said, "Hun, it's the middle of January right now. That only gives me six weeks to train for this marathon. And he said, well, you could, you could try it. And then Runner's World Magazine to the rescue, they had a six-week marathon training schedule in either that magazine that month or maybe just a month before. I can't even remember, but it was just so coincidental that I said, okay, this just has to be. So, uh, so that's how I did it. It was just a spontaneous conversation. And then a month later, we said, hey, here's this marathon coming up in the end of February. So I gave it six weeks to try. Yeah. That's, that is pretty intense. So six weeks to train for a marathon. How far, how was, how far was the longest distance that you had run before you started training? Oh, that's so funny because the longest distance I'd run before that was probably 
10 miles at the most. And that had been done uh, casually, you know, sporadically, that type of thing. And I was at approximately 40 miles per week, which I thought was okay for starting to train for a marathon because as I looked at the six-week training program that I saw in the magazine, I realized, oh, okay, you have to do this and that, and then you had these long run on Sunday. And during all that time too, I was working a full-time job. I was doing my own cake, my own baking business out of my house. I was taking a cake decorating class at the community college. And so I thought, oh, well, let's just throw in training for a marathon. Why not? So yeah, <laughs> so that's how that went. Yep. I tell you, I think a lot of marathon runners are like that. It's like, oh, we'll just add that on top. And we just have these busy, productive lives, but busy. And right. so, and then we just find that time to train. And it, it almost eliminates excuses though, because if somebody with your caliber with that many roles can do it, then anybody who really wants to, they could. So yeah. I think that's really neat. Um, so as far as, I wanna hear a little bit about the Cowtown Marathon, because I know it was a unique one. I know um, you have a unique uh, story about qualifying for Boston in your first marathon. And I wanna know, like, did you even, were you trying to do that? Did you even think Boston? Cause I know you thought about Boston a while ago, but was that a, of the caliber that you were, you were working for? No, that's, that's the funny part about it. I had a friend who had run a marathon and she had run hers in approximately four hours. So I thought, oh, well, I'll kind of use that as my goal. So I started the Cowtown Marathon and around mile two, a gentleman ran up alongside me and he said, how are you doing? I said, oh, I'm fine. He said, how many marathons have you run so far? And I said, oh, this is my first one. He said, well, can I give you two pieces of advice? And I said, yes, please. He said, well, don't let your excitement at the beginning run away, you know, get you carried away and take fluids at every station. I thought, okay. I said, so, and he, then he asked me what my goal time was. I said, well, I'm hoping to finish it in, in anything around four hours. I said, what about you? And he said, well, I'm on track right now to be trying to run a 3.30. And I said, oh, well, uh, can I run just with you so that I don't, you know, do anything too fast? And then, and then when I can't keep up, I'll just kind of back off. He said, yeah, sure. And at the time, I wasn't really having too many troubles, you know, like um, with trying to figure out uh, uh, drinking and fluid intake and then potty stops and what have you. But I got a little nervous around mile 16. I thought, oh, goodness, I wonder if I need to use the restroom. And then I thought, I don't want to lose this guy because we have such a good pace going on right now. And the wind was approximately 22 miles per hour. And it was a headwind when we got to mile 22. And they had this one. It, it, so, yeah, so there were just a few different elements there. But I just wanted to keep up with this guy. And then at the very end, there's a spot where you have the, the female shoot and the male shoot, which I didn't know. They do that 50 to 100 yards in advance. And we had to split apart from each other. And I said, thank you so much. And he said, oh, of course. So we both, both crossed the line in three hours and 30 minutes. And that was on a Saturday, February 28th. And my husband found out on Tuesday, March 3rd, that my time qualified for Boston by 10 minutes. He had, I don't know how he had looked it up, but he did. And I said, oh, well, that's neat. That's something that I can tell our kids someday that I qualified for Boston. And he looked at me straight in the eye and he said, do you want to go? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
so awesome. Yeah, and the thing was, I was still recovering. I was still in a lot of pain, and Boston was going to be seven weeks away. It was, you know, and so I was like, okay. So then I took the rest of that week off and started that Sunday training another six weeks to be able to run Boston. That is so funny. I love it. You go from like not running a marathon distance to running two within just a couple months of each other. Yeah. Now, had you run a half marathon before that or no? Nope. No, nope. just 5k, 10k. Dove, yep. Dove right in, just plugged my nose, dove into the deep end and didn't know what to do. It's too funny. So at the end of the Cowtown, how did you feel? This was your first marathon. What was the first feelings? Do you remember those feelings crossing the finish line? Yes. I remember thinking, wow, I can't believe I just did that. And the hard part was my husband and I got, we didn't really have a meeting plan figured out. I, I didn't know that it's like, oh, when you're done, meet here and all this kind of thing. So I didn't know where to find him and he didn't know where to find me. And it took us about half an hour to connect with each other. And all I remember thinking was, I'm, I'm just really tired and I'm really, really hungry. And he had gone to uh, Cinnabon to get two giant cinnamon rolls for me. And I was so grateful. He, he actually had like a little cooler that he used as a little portable oven so that they would stay warm inside there. And I started eating that thing shamelessly. I, yes. And then he got me home and I got into a tub and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I just remember thinking, wow, I, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that. And I felt that runner's high all day. It was, it was really neat. And then the next morning when we went to church, we had friends who were so excited for me. One of the uh, women was like, oh, I was going to make a sign. I told my husband I wanted a sign for you, but no, but that was fine. It was, it was just very exciting. That is too fun. I Cinnamon rolls, that would be the perfect after marathon treat. Oh my goodness, that is going on my list. So um, now between the Cowtown and the Boston Marathon, did you do any extra research about Boston? Did it become more of a, because you thought about it when you were 16. So yes. did you, did it start raising more interest in you? Like what was your feeling of wow, I qualified for Boston? Well, it was, it was really just surreal because the day before I ran Cowtown, I turned in my, my letter of resignation for my, daytime job because I wanted to go into baking more full-time so I had two more weeks of work uh, left and everybody that I worked with was very excited for me that I was going to Boston but at back at back in 1998 I wasn't really computer savvy so I didn't really know much about research other than just the things that you could look up basically at the library or from running magazines and that type of thing and uh, I just let it be this Oh, how do I want to say kind of a surprise element. I kind of wanted it to unfold as it was. And that I think was the, the neatest part about it was just me having this element of, mm, how do I want to say, not knowing anything, you know, just, just ignorant, you know, that blissful ignorance of just saying, okay, how is, how is this going to be? How is this going to feel? And so that, that's how it kind of just grew from the plane ride where there were people on the plane that were going there. I didn't even think about that, that other people on the plane were going to be going to Boston to run the race. So it was just fun how it, how it unfolded naturally. Yeah. 
Now tell me your, about your first experience at Boston. Was it all that you imagined? Was it more? What was what was it like? What was the crowd like and finishing? Oh my goodness! You know, I, I've had I've had the very good pleasure and the gift of being able to run it more than once. But I can I can honestly say that um, nothing has captured that first Boston uh, since it was the twelve noon start. And it was a single wave, you know, I mean, there was, there was only, there was only one wave. There were only 13,000 people that year that were running and I was almost dead center. I was in the seven thousands. And um, so getting onto the school buses and going out to the athletes village, when we got off of our school bus, there were children that had t-shirts and they handed you a marker because they wanted you to sign their t-shirt you felt like a celebrity. It was the, the neatest thing. And I got there very early and got to see the village wake up and grow with uh, all these other runners coming in. And then standing there in my shoot, elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder with all of these other runners. And you look up and there were helicopters. There must've been seven helicopters just hovering over us as we were getting ready to hear that 12 noon gun start. And then um, even as I talk to you about it right now, I get the chills, the scream tunnel at Wellesley that for, I'm getting, I'm getting the chills right now. It's unbelievable. The scream tunnel at Wellesley, that first time that I ran it, it brought tears to my eyes. It was just incredible. I, I can't even put it into words. And then I didn't know about the turning right at Hereford and left at Boylston. I didn't know anything about that. All I remember was seeing the two the, the, the two arches that they have at the end and you're just running. And I remember thinking, those arches keep moving farther and farther away when you have those last 600 yards. You just think, when are they gonna get closer? And uh, then when, when I crossed that finish line, it was just, uh, it chills right now, just an indescribable sense of, Wow, and that runner's high lasted two solid days. I slept with my medal on. I, I barely slept, actually. I was awake the next morning so early, I couldn't climb up or down stairs to save my life. <laughs> but it was worth every ounce of pain. It was, it, was, it was the most incredible thing, just incredible. I love it. I love it. The first, the marathon, the first marathon you run is super special. But yes. then I also think the first Boston that you run is super special. Mm -hmm. So, and I know I, I ran it in 2016. So 2020 was supposed to be my second time. And gotcha. um, my goal is to qualify every age group, whether I go or not, that's just my goal. Cause then that means I'm one of the fastest in my age group, right? <laughs> yeah, yes. Some com yes. competitive nature in me or something, but um but that there is just something about it. And I don't know what the second time will be like because it's not the first. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it will be special. But mm -hmm. I love hearing the first experiences of Boston. And to know there was only one wave. Can you believe now that there's so many different waves and so many people? Um, I'm sure the experiences, because you've been there, this would have been your sixth Boston, right? Sixth in a row, eighth overall. Yes. Yeah. Overall. I've been I've okay. been I've been very thankful to be there that many times. Yeah. So how has it changed throughout the years? Because when was your first time to run it? Was in 1998? Yes. And yes. then you've run eight different, or this would have been eight different times. So how has it changed and evolved in your in your mind? 
Yes, that's a great question. Well, in 2006, which was my second time there, they had the waves and my number for 2006 was higher than what the field would have been in 1998. My number was 15,000 something in 2006. And back in 1998, they limited the field to 15,000 at the most, and they didn't have that many sign up that year. And so that was different that, oh, okay, now there are these waves and I wasn't in the first wave. They only had, they had two waves in 2006 and I wasn't fast enough for the first wave. So I was in the second wave and that was nice because we had a fan club. You know, I had my fan club in 1998 of three, my husband and then two of our friends that lived out in Boston. And then when I went in 2006, we had my husband, our two children, our two friends that still lived in Boston and their three children. So I had a, a fan club of eight now just for me. So that was that was really fun that, you know, it was like it was after having children and that type of thing. And then it changed even more when it became 2015, where now there were there were three waves and then you had the runners for charity and that type of thing. And so just the whole sense of community of people that were running. And I, I think a lot of it had to do with the 2013 tragedy mm -hmm. and just the amount of gratitude that we all had to be back there. I don't know what 2014 was like, and I'm so happy for those people that got to, to go in 2014, but since 2015, it's just been, it, it's been wonderful. It, it really has to, to go and you learn something along the way each time, like just which porta potties to use and all that kind of thing. And it's fun. Right, right. Yeah, you probably know all the secrets, so <laughs> you might have to. Uh, yeah, there's a, there are a few of them, yeah, with respect to, you know, when, when to use the porta potty and making sure that you have your own tissues because you just never know. And so, yeah, so it's, it's fun. Yeah. I have a bus buddy that I met from 2015, and she and I still uh, correspond with each other. So that's fun. That is so cool. So running them, you've done six in a row. Um, eight well, overall, five in a row. Yeah, it would have been, it would have been six in a row this year. Mm -hmm. Are, were you qualifying at Boston for it or were you running more marathons in between? I was qualifying at Boston, but I did do a couple in between. I, my first one to qualify for Boston again was in December of 2013. Then I found out in September of 2014 that I got into Boston for 2015, but I ran that same the same marathon that I qualified for in 2013 I ran it again in 2014 and then I did I just allowed myself to use the the Boston qualifying times for um from 2015 I used that for 2016 and then I used my 2016 time for 2017 then my 2017 time for 2018 but 2018 was the monsoon and I was just so happy when I crossed the finish line and knew that I didn't have to keep running. And my time was really, was a little bit slower than I wanted. So I did do another marathon that was in Georgia in November of 2018 to improve my corral placement for 2019. And it, and it did, it, it got me into a, a better corral for 2019. So I was, I was thankful for that, but, um, I pretty much have been sticking to uh, just one or following the rule of like two marathons every, not every year for me, but like more like every 18 months is what I do. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like a good number. I think that's really a sweet spot because for me, 
I, I'll do two a year maybe, but usually it's one. So probably about that, probably the 18 months is kind of where I am too. So, um, so I'd like to talk a little bit about the struggle victories that you've had. Um, you had some medical issues and some different things that you've had to work through and overcome. And so let's talk a little bit about that race that, um, it didn't, that's not where you found, you knew about it before that, right? Or did it come in that race? No, I, I had been, I had, no, that's a good, very good question. A very good question to clarify my ulcerative colitis. I had been diagnosed with ulcerative colitis in 1996 and we had had it well in hand and under control and that type of thing for the 1998 uh, first Boston and also for, for Cowtown. When I decided to run in 2006, the qualifying marathon that I ran was in 2004, and that was the inaugural marathon of the Palm Beaches. Palm Beach decided they wanted to have their own marathon because Miami had a marathon and Fort Lauderdale had a marathon, and Palm Beach said, hey, we want to have a marathon. And it was, uh, the, the race itself was directed by Dave McGilvray, who's the race director for uh, Boston. And uh, so, yeah, I know, kind of cool, but I was having a little bit of trouble during my training and I was keeping it under control, but uh, it was starting to get a little bit worse. And the, the morning of the 2004 marathon, I could tell I was having a little bit of a struggle, but I was just telling myself, it's okay, you're going to be fine. And um, I got to the start and I started running and it was a, it was a day very similar to a lot of the Boston marathons. It was a rainy day. It was overcast, that type of thing. But I could tell by mile eight, things were not going to go well. And uh, so I kept trying to just plug along and plug along. And then during the times when it was raining, that was great because you're, you're all wet. Everybody's wet and you have a chance to have things get cleaned off. We'll, we'll put it that way. But then I ran through this one area called Clematis Street, which is a very popular area in West Palm Beach. Lots of people like to hang out there. We had to run through there. So you have lots of people on, on the uh, sidewalks watching. And there was uh, one person that I heard laughing when I ran by. And then I heard another woman uh, say something about my shorts and how they had been soiled and but she was saying it more in an exclamatory way where she was very concerned about me and I just I just kept going and I just kept going and around mile 18 to mile 20 uh, there was a woman who I was running kind of next to and I told her how I had soiled my shorts going to the bathroom in my shorts and she said oh honey we're runners. That's what we do. And <laughs> she didn't realize that it was a little bit more of a serious situation because I, I wasn't going to tell her all the details. But then we saw a woman who was having a tremendous cramp in her calf. So we were calling uh, for medics. We said, medics, she needs help. She needs help. But we were kind of still going because at that point it started raining again. And we just kind of wanted to get out of that area. And we knew she was getting help. So after we passed her and she was getting her, he was, she was getting help. The, the lady who had said that about that's, you know, that's what we do. She said, now, see, you don't have any troubles. That lady, she was having troubles. And I, I, that was enough to make me pull my boots up by my bootstraps and just pull myself together and say, you can get this done. You can get this done. 
And then there was this last corner that we had to turn and we were probably 200 miles from the finish and my body just let loose. And this UC attack became apparent to absolutely everybody, um, everybody. And um, when I crossed the finish line, I ran straight to an individual who had a wheelchair. He was just standing there with the wheelchair. It wasn't like he was looking at me, but he had a wheelchair. I just ran right over to that wheelchair. And I have never had such a fast wheelchair ride in my life. I think this gentleman ran me to the medical tent because I was such a physical, obvious mess. And um, Dave McGillivray was actually standing about three feet away from my husband. And he said, you know, they'll take care of her. And then I heard my friends say that they'll take care of my kids for me. And that made me feel a lot better. And then I went into that medical tent and um, I, I told them, I said, I haven't taken any fluids since mile 18. You're going to have a really tough time getting a vein. And if I could show you right now, I, I don't even know if I can show you, you can probably, you might be able to see my veins. My veins are huge. My veins stick out like road, like roadmaps. I mean, you can see them all the time. And they were flat. There was there was nothing there. And they had an anesthesiologist there who just grabbed my arm, went straight for the you know the the vein in the elbow to try to get to try to put one in there. And he used the biggest needle he could just to try to get to try to get some fluid into me. And um, then I got a wonderful ambulance ride to the local hospital, and I was in the emergency ICU for about twelve hours. And then they sent me up to I got to be on the sports floor though. I, mean, I felt so yeah. special. I was on I was on the athlete's You're floor athlete. of the hospital. Like wow, man, pretty cool. So yeah, so I was there for two days. So um, yeah, that was that was how two thousand four ended. But uh, as I was getting sent to the hospital, I was in the ambulance and I've got this IV in and I've got this uh, EMT working on me and asking me questions. I said, hey, I qualified for Boston by 16 seconds. And he's saying <laughs> all that back to the driver. He's like, hey, yeah, she just qualified for Boston by 16 seconds. And thankfully at that time, that race was good for either 2005 or 2006. And I needed all of 2005 to get myself back to normal, back to good health, and then run it again in 2006. So, yeah, so I got back. So I got back to Boston in 2006, but it was definitely just a um, more of a casual, more of a casual Boston that year. Yeah, yeah. I love it how runners have priorities. <laughs> We're in physical pain or having issues, but but yet we qualified. So that was a great race. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. Where we're, you know, hanging on for dear life and where we say, oh, well, we at least we made the finish or all these things that runners do. Um, so what did that race, at, like at the end of that race, what did it do to your mentality? Did you have any struggles um, coming back from it? Did you, did anybody tell you, I don't think you should run anymore? What was going on at that time? Oh, sure. Yeah. My, my family was absolutely paranoid. They were not, not my husband. My husband's always been very calm. He's, he's steady. He's, he's steady, but my family, you know, like my, my mom, of course, they were like, you gotta be done with running. You're, you, you just have to be done with running. You're too small. This is too much uh, on your body. That type of thing. You, you know, the, the kinds of things that people want to say when they are loving you and they are so scared for you. That's their way of expressing it. And I, and I get that. I, I, can, I can understand their feelings because it did take me a while to recover. But I remember 
<laughs> being sad in my hospital room that I wasn't going to be able to celebrate with my friends at the Cheesecake Factory because that was where I went after the first time I ran Boston in 1998. <laughs> and I wanted to go back there and celebrate with all my friends and my, our children at the Cheesecake Factory in Muscle Beach. But um, yeah, I, I just remember where um, I was, I had my husband bring the, uh, my Bible up to me at, to the hospital and just remember I was reading through Job and the nurse was saying, well, that's kind of a tough book to be reading through at a time like this. I said, well, you know, but I'm actually finding it very beneficial because of everything he went through. And mm -hmm. so that was very helpful for me. But uh, I just remember thinking that um, I didn't want to end on that kind of a note. I didn't want something else to finish my marathon career. I wanted to be the one to say my marathon career is done or, or I'm content or something like that. And I didn't have a sense of contentment. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that's what an excuse remover that is too, because mm -hmm. it could have been easy just to say, eh, I think I'm good. I think that I'm going to let this medical issue, I'm going to let this ulcerative colitis take, get the best of me and I'm just going to be done. And what that could do for us just even mentally um, to not have that passion or not to have like some type of a purpose anymore um, that can be detrimental. And so I think it's, uh, it was courageous of you and brave of you to say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to not let this beat me. I'm going to beat it and get after it again. And now, I mean, that was 2006 was the, the or well, 2004. No, that was, well, yeah, it was 2004. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Yep. And then you ran Boston in 2006 and have you, haven't had a major issue in a race since that one? That's correct. I haven't had a major issue in a race since, since that one. It was actually um, a month after 2019 when I uh, wound up in the hospital, and that was last year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So is there anything that you learned to do differently, or how did you approach it to um, get yourself to that healthy point where you could manage it and still do what you love? You know, it, what I did was uh, working with working with my doctor, my uh, gastroenterologist, and then working with the diagnosis. You can't just, you don't, you might not like the diagnosis, but you can't ignore it. You can't say, oh, well, I don't have that. Well, your body's going to tell you that you do in one way or another. So you partner with it and you say, all right, what am I going to do now to be able to work with this? And how am I going to take this diagnosis and not let it be something that is a detriment or a life changer in a negative way, but let's make it a life enhancer in a positive way. And so you, I, you do have to be more on top of things that some people might take for granted. You do have to be on top of the things that you eat and when you're eating them and how much you're eating of those types of things. And so that was... Uh, it wasn't that it was a pivotal type of thing. It was more of a um, let's be more diligent about it type of thing. And that was the um, that was the most encouraging part when you when you think about it, because it creates that sense now of of ownership, responsibility and accountability. And when when I did it that way, it made it so that 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, that they were they they were great 
you know, they were, they were great. And I'm thankful for that. Yeah. That's so cool. It's mm-hmm. cool how you can have victory over those things when you, when you work to have a plan to mm-hmm. essentially have kind of a goal with it and to just not let it beat you. This episode is brought to you by my book, Mind Over Marathon, Overcoming Mental Barriers in the Race of Life. If you feel like you just need a mindset shift because you are going after a goal and need some direction and encouragement, this book is for you. It will help you to ignite a passion and purpose in your life, clarify your unique game plan, and build confidence in who you are. At the end of each chapter are a quick faith devotional, thought-provoking questions, and a practical application that you can implement immediately. This book is about discovering a dream and taking it from inception to a flourishing finish. Running is optional. You can snag two free chapters at www.redhotmindset.com slash mindovermarathon. Dream huge and remember, you are a winner, just run your race. Now, in that time frame, you are now a mom of young kids mm-hmm. and uh, probably struggling through the, how do I get my training in while I'm a mom and have all these roles? And in the midst of all that, your oldest son was diagnosed with autism. Mm -hmm. Um, So what effect did all of that have on you? What role did it all play in your life and in your running? Oh, great questions, uh, really. Uh, Because in 2004, that's what, well, that's when we received the the diagnosis of Mark's high-functioning autism. And that was after months of really looking and assessing and saying things look a little bit different here. And that was information from a a friend of ours that is um, a speech pathologist. And then we worked with a pediatric neuropsychologist who was just phenomenal. I can't say enough positive things about our experience with her because she took us so seriously. She took Mark so seriously and interviewed him over the course of several weeks. And then she took a very long time to create her diagnosis in terms of a written format. And she took three hours to go over it with me. Mm -hmm. And I was so relieved when she did all that and took all that time and gave me the diagnosis because I knew based on everything that she said that okay, this is what we have. And I was, I was grateful for the amount of time she took to make it clear. So what my friends had kind of encouraged me to do after getting him into speech therapy and social therapy and occupational therapy, they said, you need to have some time to yourself. You need some you times. As much as I was doing therapy to figure out how to have a typical child and an, and an atypical child, I needed something. And so I said, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to go back into running. Yeah, just get back into running. Then, hey, let's just get back into running a marathon. Right. (laughs) Go big or go home, right? (laughs) Right. So, yeah. So what I did was I I started a, a membership at a gym that had a kids club. And I had our daughter go into the kids club during the time that Mark was at preschool. And that's when I would train, I would get on the treadmill and everybody knew that, okay, this girl, you know, they didn't necessarily know my name. All they knew her was, okay, she's the number four treadmill girl. She goes on to treadmill number four and she's on there and that's what she does. And then she goes downstairs and lifts her weights and that type of thing. And I had a a window of time that I had to use where I got there at a certain time, 
got done at a certain time because I had to get my daughter out of kids club and then go pick Mark up from school. So yeah, that, that was what we did. But, um, you know, like you say, you, you can't, you, you can't, um, be lax. It's just, if this is something that you want to do, you figure out the times to do it. And then Fridays were spent where I would put both kids into a jogger stroller. And I did my, my run on a Friday afternoon. I gave uh, my daughter and I a break of going to the, the kids club in the gym on Fridays and would do my run in the evening with both kids. So yeah. That's impressive. I do think running is a good therapy because it is kind of your time. You get that alone time. Well, if you're not running with others, I love running with others too, but when you're by yourself, it's like your reflective time and your alone time and you can listen to music. You can listen to a podcast. You can not listen to anything. And it is, it gives you just that natural, I would say natural high, um, but natural just peacefulness really. Yeah. Well, and the thing about the Fridays that I wanted was for the children to see what I was doing and what it took to be able to reach a goal because they had to sit in that stroller for pretty close to an hour because at that time I wasn't going fast. I was just trying to get you know my, my feet back in order and get myself going one foot in front of the other again. So I wanted them to see that this is this is what it takes. It takes this kind of dedication. So I love that because I'm super passionate too about that about being your kid's best example. And mm -hmm. the only way that they can learn to win is by us winning and by mm -hmm. us going after a goal. That's the best way for them to learn unless mm -hmm. we let them just learn from someone else. And I don't want them looking past me to know what success is, right? And I don't want them to think that when they become an adult that they now just have to adult. There's no more dreaming and there's no more goals. Um, and so I think that was such a, pivot, a pivotal time for you too, as a mom to teach them that. And that is so cool. Even at the young ages that they were, that it's so impressionable. They see, they see what we do. They don't really hear what we say. So I think that's so cool. What are some, what are some of the things that you've learned in your running in all these years? Oh my goodness. That, you know, uh, there, there was, a line that I, I, it's very recent too that says that uh, there you don't you don't regret the runs you do you only regret the runs you don't do mm, yeah and, and then be able to juggle the you know the scheduling of running your your runs and getting all those things done uh, I I've definitely learned that and I've learned that um, as much as I, I wear some really junky clothes a lot of times to run, there's something to be said about having a good pair of, you know, running shoes, running socks. Oh my goodness. I went through so many bad pairs of socks before <laughs> I found the ones that don't give me blisters, don't give me any kinds of problems whatsoever. And I'm so grateful for that because my poor husband used to take my my shoes and socks off of me and he would see double blisters like blister on top of blister and then a callus and all this kind of thing and you're like we got to do something about your feet and we did you know we looked for the right shoes we got the right socks and that's better so you really do have to make sure that you prioritize those things if something isn't feeling right you have to examine why and then do whatever you can to try to fix it yeah yeah I love those um now 2020 Boston obviously we all know it's canceled 
Um, it probably didn't come as a surprise or a shock to any of us, really. Um, but when when they actually announced that it was canceled and no longer postponed, um, what was your initial reaction? You know, I was I was sad. I I will I will be honest about that. I was sad. I was I was disappointed. But you know, like when you think about what people have been going through, when you think about all of the the frontline workers and the essential workers and the, the the family members that are left behind because of someone who was consumed by COVID nineteen. It, it 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 took their life. There's there was no further room there for me to to give myself a pity party. And so I just said, okay, you know, there we've got these options here for this to be a virtual run. Let's see what we can do with that. But I think what I liked the most was knowing that other people had said it's okay to acknowledge that it was a loss we were all excited we all had been training and that type of thing and becoming more cohesive as a group as as the time got closer and closer and to have that permission to recognize that okay this is this is a little bit of a loss this is a little bit of a disappointment it's not taking away from my heartfelt feelings of what someone else is going through with respect to the virus. This was just my sense of loss for this particular activity. And that made me feel a lot better. It made me feel uh, less bad about wanting to acknowledge those feelings. And I watched the, um, the old ones on, on marathon Monday, I actually watched the ones that they, um, that they uh, put on TV. So that was, that was a nice thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 kind of neat just to kind of experience it in, in your own little way and um, to have that celebration. So if if you were to consider Boston 2020 your victory run, why would that be? What would be your reason? Well, uh, when I got done with 2019 and I had done it five times in a row, I uh, I had some really bad foot cramps at that time. And I just looked my husband straight in the eye and I said, I'm done. No more Boston. He's just like, okay. She just right, got done. Right. When she wakes up in the morning, she's going to be saying something else. And I think someone else had said that too. It's like anything you say about Boston, good or bad, right after you finish the race, doesn't count. You give yourself at least 24 hours, give yourself a week, whatever, and then you're going to have a clear head. But um, what ended up happening was that um, I did start to have a really bad um, UC flare up, the, the worst one of my life. And May 23rd, I ended up getting admitted into the hospital and it was, um, my doctor said it was a life-threatening flare-up of ulcerative colitis. He was afraid that I was going to lose my large intestine, my large colon. He uh, was standing over my exam bed with tears in his eyes, just crying that he thought that I would, he thought that I was going to be dead. And um, so I was in the hospital for uh, eight days and had a lot of time to think about different things because, you know, he was telling me, he's like, you, you know, you're, he's like, no for 2020. He's like, you're not, I, I, he's like, you can't run Boston 2020, but I can get you there in 2021. And um, even at that time, as I was laying there, I was exhausted. I, I was just trying to get myself from one day to the next. And while I was in the hospital, my family brought a um, a night fairy up to see me. I'm going to grab him really quickly because he's right here. Yeah. This is my night fairy guy. Oh, and cute. That's part of Boston Buddies. And so night fairy, uh, his name is Steintooth. 
Night Fury was with me in the hospital. And while I was in the hospital, I got my singlet from the Boston Buddies uh, running group. And I put it on to Night Fury. And um, that made me feel good. But for the longest time, I would say for probably a good three months, all of June, all of July, and pretty much most of August, I thought my running is done because I was so exhausted from that whole ulcerative colitis experience. And I just was so depleted at that point. And so then as September was getting closer and my husband was starting to encourage me saying, you qualified, what's the worst that can happen? You show up and you walk the whole race or you walk part of it and then I come pick you up. He's like, all you need to do is, is show up. And to have that kind of support from him was just the, the sweetest thing, just so tender from him. And so I signed up and um, then by December, my doctor had said, okay, you can resume running now. And I was feeling better and I was eating better and things just started to feel more normal. Then I said, you know, it'll be fun to go there and to have it as my victory lap that says, I, I'm just happy to be here. I'm happy to see the people that had been supportive through all of my recovery. And that's that's how I was looking at it. I was I was really excited about just being able to thank everyone. You know, just have it be my my thank you run for all that they had done to encourage me and support me and help me to get stronger. Yeah, what a great victory run! I mean, another comeback. Like you know, the comeback's always sweeter than the yeah. setback. And so I love that, and I want you to get that victory run. Now it sounds like you're going to do the virtual. Um, are you just going to run it for fun then and easy or are you going to try and get a pace or? You know, I, I want to have a pace, but it's not going to be the kind of pace I would want if I was running the, the marathon in, in, in Boston, you know, starting in Hopkinton and finishing downtown. What I want to do is run it because if I don't, it will have been two years between mm -hmm between marathons and I am a little bit nervous about going that long between running marathons. So I'm looking at doing a little bit slower than uh, my 2019, which was very exciting because I finally got the monkey off my back that had been my 331. I'd been doing 331, 331, 331. And finally in 2019, I did, it wasn't anything bombastic. It was 327 because again, wow. I had the foot cramps, but I was like, yes, no more 331. So, um, but I don't know. I, my son has really been um, trying to be my little uh, sidekick uh, coach. And he really wants me to run in August. He's like, mom, I think you're ready to be able to do one in August. I don't think you should wait till the virtual in September. <laughs> you know, I just, but um, I think I, it's, it's a once in a lifetime type of thing. So why not try it? You know, why not do, why not wait until the week of September 7th to the 14th and, and give it a try and be part of something that's historic in its own way. Right. Right. It's, it's an epic year to be a part of it. You know, even though it wasn't the year we planned or how we planned it, um, it definitely is going to go down in history. So right. I think it's special and I'm running it too, but I'm running it slow and just to do my own thing for that reason too, because I don't really want to overdo it or overtrain, but I want to be a part of something special. So I totally get that. Um, 
yeah, and you have another another dream that you're working toward. Um, now, what I love is that you're using your struggle, victory story, and you want to help others um, who struggle with the same thing with the ulcerative colitis, and you want to share it in words. And so, I want to hear a little bit about this journey that you're on right now as you're completing your first book. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm want to definitely include some things about my gastroenterologist and how uh, almost prophetic his words were, where he said, "You're not going to be in Boston in 2020, but I can get you there in 2021." And, and look, no, nobody's <laughs> in Boston in 2020. So, but, yeah, but I was thinking about uh, the number 13 because I started running when I was 13, and my birthday's on the 13th of the month, and I thought, gosh, maybe I could do 13 chapters about my experience with running and my journey with running uh, with with a, a situation that is, you know, an autoimmune disorder. And if it can help someone else to relate to the struggles that you have when you have, uh, you know, a, a setback and when you had this diagnosis and what have you. And just wanting to give people just that sense of encouragement because I received so much encouragement from so many other people. And it's one of those things where you want to share it. It's not that you feel a sense of obligation. It's more a sense of, wow, I, I can do this. I, I want to share this with people. I want to let people know that uh, they can still have their dreams. They can still reach their dreams, even with a diagnosis like this. And I'm excited about it. I'm very nervous because I don't know how it's gonna sound, how it's gonna look, but I know that the words are there. I have some I have some chapter titles kind of created and I have some things, some stories that are probably a little too much information for some people, you know, like but one of the experiences I had when I was in the hospital in 2004 and an x-ray technician had to, um, be helping me because I couldn't stand up at that point. I was too weak to be able to stand up and I had to lean on him while I was in the restroom. And, and, and because this race took place in November, he said this to me, he's like, well, now that we know each other so well, am I invited to Thanksgiving dinner? Because I, I didn't know him. I had just met him, but I had to be having him help me in the restroom. And it's just little things like that. And it's like, it took me a few months to figure out what he meant when he said that, because I was just so out, you know, just so out of it at the time that it happened. But little things like that, I think, you know what, that brings a sense of um, reality to the situation, a sense of the um, the depths to you know, how, how far down I was and the depths of just um, feeling sick and all that kind of thing. And then what you can have, what you know, where, where you can just finally get to. So yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. That is exciting. I'm excited to see it. Do you have a a deadline or like a goal deadline um, for completing it? I do. I, you know, I really would like to get it done before, before next April, because there, like I say, there's so many people that have been so influential with their words of encouragement and their um, just, just their um, support. And it's really important for me to move along with it instead of just saying, Oh yeah, I'm going to do that. No, no, I, I'm going to do this. I'm I'm going to keep moving forward because of the steps that I had taken a few months ago and like kind of slacked off a little bit. And now I'm redoubling my efforts and holding myself accountable. I'm holding myself accountable to you and to all of the the people who get to see this. So yeah, so but 
but now it's a sense of excitement too, that, that urgency that says, yes, let's, let's get this done. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, there's something about being bold about your goals too, and sharing them because then it kind of actually puts accountability on yourself and it make, it's kind of a decision. It becomes that decision. I've made it. Now I got to do it. And I think that's really cool that you're willing to share that. And I'm, and, and that you're willing to share your story with others because it's going to have a positive impact and it's going to help many, many people. So, um, I am, I'm excited for that. And uh, one thing I wanted to know is if any of the listeners wanted to follow you on your running journey or on your writing journey, um, how can they do that? Well, I am right now I'm only on Facebook, but it's uh, Janine Greenwich on uh, Facebook. And um, I'll have to make a few things more available for people because <laughs> I've been a little bit too private on there, but yes, you can, you can see me there. And then uh, if people would want to even just send an email message to me, they can. I'm at, and this one's pretty easy to remember. Um, because my first name is spelled J-A-N-I-N-E, I abbreviated it to J-A-9 because of the N-I-N-E, and then 262 because drug marathon is 26.2 miles. So my email address is J-A-9-262 at yahoo.com. I love it. I love it. And we'll put those links in the show notes as well for them to find some easy access to it. So I appreciated you being on here, Janine. This has been a great conversation. I'm excited to have you, to see you have your victory run in 2021. Um, If we're all there in Boston, we'll have to meet up. I'm thinking about all the ladies who are on the podcast. It would be really fun to get us all to meet up and, and meet each other. So um, but I, I wish you the best as you're writing your book and I look forward to hearing how it goes. Thank you. Wasn't that a great conversation with Janine? I just love hearing struggle victory stories because in a struggle, there can always be a victory. And I think that she is one of the biggest excuse removers I've met. And I love, love, love that she's using her story to impact others for the good. And so I am super happy and blessed to have had her on. I hope you got a lot out of it. I hope you had some good takeaways. And as always, dream huge. And remember, you are a winner. Just run your race. I believe in you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I had a great time and I hope you did too. Before we go, though, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform if you haven't already. This will make sure you have access to all future episodes so you don't miss any of them. If you resonated with this episode, please consider leaving a review on iTunes or Spotify, as reviews are an important part of growing this podcast and helping it reach the listeners who would love to add it to their library. If you have any friends or family who you think would enjoy this podcast, be sure to take a screenshot and share it with them. If you're not a part of the free Red Hot Winners online community, consider joining us. It's a community built to provide support, mindset, and encouragement as you go after your biggest goals. And we can continue today's conversation over there. Head on over to www.redhotmindset.com to check out the show notes and find the link to join the community. I hope you step into the fire with me each and every episode because I know you will come out stronger. That's all for now. Talk with you real soon. Bye, winner.